The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself and things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So last week we just touched generally on the idea of guidance. Uh, if we want to know how it is that we ought to live, if we want to know how it is we ought to live as God's people, then we need to be ready to listen to what God's word says. And we finished by looking at the practical issue, a simple one, buying a car. What guidance does the Bible give me for buying a car? So today I want to start off with the practical issue. Um, and the practical issue that I want to look at is marriage. Does God want me to get married? Who should I marry? Is there that one special person out there for me? What should I look for in a husband or a wife? So in that vein, I want to start particularly for the single guys. Um, here are 12 biblical principles for finding a wife. Uh, these are all verses from the Bible. Uh, so let me begin with the first of them. Find an attractive prisoner of war, bring her home, shave her head, trim her nails, give her some new clothes, then she's yours. Uh, if you wanted to write down these references, they are there. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 11 to 13. Uh, a second approach could be this one. Find a man with seven daughters, impress him by watering his flock. That was how Moses approached it in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, number three. Uh, this is from the book of Ruth. Purchase a property and get a wife as part of the deal. Number four, I suppose you can see where this is going, can't you? I do actually have 12 principles here if you'd like to get a copy of these later on, but I'm going to skip over those for now. In case you're a little bit confused, I think I want to say that's not how we get guidance from God because that's not how we read the Bible. Just because something happens in the Bible doesn't mean that I should do it or that I have permission to do that. Yes, the Bible is going to be the most important thing when it comes to understanding God's guidance for our lives, but we need to make sure that we're reading it properly. You don't just grab a verse that you like the look of. You need to understand the Bible in its own context. So one of the most important questions to ask when you're looking at the Bible is, where is the Bible heading? And what I mean is that God's plan and purpose is being revealed through the pages of the Bible. So we kind of need to have an understanding of the overview of the Bible. There are plenty of people who 
treat the Bible as just a collection of tips and moral lessons that you can choose from. But that's not how we're supposed to read the Bible. The Bible is ultimately a book about Jesus. The whole Bible is pointing toward him, telling me about Jesus. I mean, that's what Jesus said in one of his discussions with the religious leaders. He said, you, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. The Old Testament was what Jesus was talking about there. And he says that the whole Old Testament is pointing to him. Not just a few verses, the whole Old Testament is where it's heading toward Jesus. All the gospel writers knew that Jesus came to fulfill what God had promised, that he is the answer to all of the issues that we find in the pages of the Old Testament. And it makes a deep, big difference to how we are to read the Bible. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to the glory of God. To understand what we see in the pages of the Old Testament, we need to understand where the Old Testament is heading, and it's heading toward Jesus. I mean, we can see it really clearly with a whole bunch of things like kingship and priesthood and the sacrificial system. We can see clearly how those things point to Jesus. But the writers of the New Testament say, no, the whole thing is pointing us toward Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Jesus is not just the story of where the Bible is heading. Jesus is where history is heading. Jesus is where this world is heading. The Bible says that the world is moving toward a goal, that it's moving toward an end point. And Jesus is that end point. The end point will be when everybody recognises the kingship of Jesus. The goal of this world is to now come and bow down before Jesus. You watch the news on TV at night and it seems like our world's moving toward some other goal or probably even chaos. It seems like the whole world is wallowing in chaos. We have the coronavirus is number one or number two news story and the war in the Ukraine is another one. But look anywhere in the world and it looks like we're moving toward chaos. But the Bible says we're moving towards a goal. This, this is how Paul puts it in Ephesians. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which, is, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Did you see that? Do you see where the world is heading? All things in heaven and on earth will be brought under the headship of Jesus. Paul says it even more clearly in Philippians. Therefore, God has exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The goal towards which this world is moving is that everyone will recognise that Jesus is the one who rules over all things. Now again, you may be thinking, well, okay, that's a really nice thought, but what's it got to do with guidance and me making decisions? What's it got to do with the decisions that I make about marriage? Well, I want to say absolutely everything. In the decisions I have to make in my life, I need to be clear where my life is heading. And I need to realise the purpose of my life is totally bound up with God's purpose for this world. I can't separate my life out of this and just carve out the little chunk that I'm going to live for myself and God can have the rest. I can't separate from my, my life from God's overall purposes for this world. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, uh, this uh, place or this man. Uh, this is Hutt River Province in Western Australia. It was established in 1970 by a man by the name of Leonard Casely, or as he prefers to be known, uh, or as he preferred to be known, he's since passed away, His Royal Highness Prince Leonard of Hutt. Um, in 1970, he and a few people, 150 of them all told, and a couple of hundred hectares of land um, broke away from the Commonwealth of Australia and formed what they believed was their own sovereign state in Western Australia, this tiny little bit of ground kind of in the middle of nowhere in Western Australia. Now, it's a little bit stupid to think that you can live right in the middle of Australia and yet your life is somehow going to be disconnected from what's happening in Australia. His province and the lives of his subjects, well, they're all bound up with what's going to happen in Australia and whatever happens to Australia is going to impact them. They can't escape it, no matter how much they pretend. And we have to show, make sure that we don't make the same mistake. We need to recognise that our future is bound up with the future that God has purposed for this world. The direction of our lives is tightly connected to the direction that the whole world is heading. You can't escape it. Some of the biggest mistakes that we make when it comes to guidance is that we start thinking that life is about me and what will focus around me. We keep thinking that we're at the centre of things and that God's plans ought to revolve around my needs and desires. But things don't revolve around me or you. Things revolve around Jesus. He's the centre of all things. It's about his glory. It's about his name. It's about people bowing down to him and acknowledge, acknowledging that he is the saviour and king. Now we may not feel 100% comfortable with that idea, but it's true. It's what the Bible says. We tend to think that God should be there for my, my benefit, to tend to my needs. And in part, that's true. God has done what is best for us by bringing us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's what Paul says to the Colossians. 
But God's plan for us is bound up with his plan for this world. God's purpose for us is bound up with his purpose of bringing all things together under the headship of Jesus. This is what Paul says in Romans. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn over many brothers and sisters. There it is. A verse that tells you your purpose in life. God wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to share his values, to share his attitudes, to be like him. Now let me get back to the practical issue of marriage. Let's see what guidance God offers us on this question. Probably one of the passages that talks most clearly about marriage is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, This is a passage that clearly sets out a whole lot of answers to questions on that subject. It's a passage that deals with a number of issues about marriage. Um, I've just got a small part of it up here for you uh, from uh, verse 32. I would like to be free uh, free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the, is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Even when it comes to that question of marriage, it's actually not about you. It's about Jesus, about living a life of devotion to him, married or unmarried. We're to serve Jesus in our lives and we're to serve him in our marriage. So what's the best thing to do? Well, Paul says, maybe you get married, maybe you don't. His advice is, do the thing that helps you most to be devoted to Jesus. Make decisions about marriage in light of where this world is heading. Paul recognises the question, should I marry or not, is one where ultimately you sort of have to decide. But you should make it in light of serving Jesus. He's certainly not saying that marriage is wrong, nor is he saying that everyone should get married. The ultimate thing for, it, for, for Paul is living for Jesus. Now, when it comes to the even bigger question, who should I marry? Well, the Bible does give some advice. The Bible tells us that you can't marry a close blood relative. Uh, you can't marry someone who's already married. But there's other things that the Bible tells us as well. God's guidance goes further than that. God's word tells us some great advice about finding a marriage partner. If you decide that being married is going to be the best way for you to serve, then you seek a godly partner. So what would you be looking for in a partner? Men, 
You'll be pleased to know God wants you to marry a beautiful woman. Well, that's what it says in 1 Peter anyway. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. Ladies, you'll be pleased to hear that God wants you to marry a husband who is a lover. This is what it says in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then jumping down to verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. I think it's a bit sad that very often most of the influence we've had in our thinking about relationships and marriage has probably come from movies that look like this. That's where we get most of our ideas about how things are going to work out in my life. We'd like to follow in those footsteps. But we need to let the Bible shape our ideas about love and marriage, not Hollywood's ideas. We need to be looking for a partner who can encourage us to be more godly. We need to look for a partner who can encourage us to be more Christ-like. When I was at Theological College, uh, my first year there, there was an old man by the name of Dr Broughton Knox who'd been the principal of Moore College for many, many years. Uh, when, it, when Broughton was younger and training to become an Anglican minister at Moore College, uh, he thought toward the end of his time at college that it may be helpful to have a wife. Uh, if he's to go and serve in the life of a church. So Broughton's approach, and Broughton was a rather quirky character, he wrote down the names of ten women who he thought would be suitable wives, and his plan was to systematically go around and propose to them. Um, And quite unbelievably, the first woman on the list agreed, and he and Elizabeth were married for 60-odd years and had quite a number of children. But his approach was that in serving as an Anglican minister, it would probably be best for him to be married for that role. That would make things easier and would make for a more effective ministry with the two of them working together, which they did for many years. So guidance, we're going to look at a little bit more on guidance next Sunday, but I hope this has kind of unsettled you a little bit. Because it is unsettling, isn't it? To think that it's not about you. You're not at the centre of God's universe. Jesus is. And we need to make sure that we keep remembering that. We need to make sure that we keep focusing on living for him and serving him in this world.